Good morning, Inspired Church. Welcome. Welcome back. If this is, you've been here before, your family, if you're a visitor today, your family is well. Welcome. My name is Philip. Uh, excited to be here every Sunday just to celebrate how good Jesus is. And uh, even more excited to leave Sundays to celebrate how good Jesus is outside of these walls um, as a church that's on mission. Amen. Um, here's what I like to do before I kind of get into the message. I just, can we pray for a friend of mine? He's a pastor in Oakland. Uh, his church is doing uh, really a lot of amazing things there in Oakland. I always try to teach uh, Inspired Church. Um, I always try to teach you that we're a kingdom-minded church. Uh, we're not in competition with any church. Uh, we are here on Sunday joining with churches all over the United States and really churches all over the world uh, lifting up the name of Jesus. And so this is a friend of mine. He's a pastor in Oakland. And uh, for the last couple of days, he's been experiencing in his right eye excruciating pain. And he's found out that, and I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, um, but that in his right eye, there's a pseudomonas infection. Uh, not sure. Somebody in here may know that. I've heard that before. But I know it's serious. And I know like every 30 minutes, he has to apply um, uh, antibodies to his eye. And I'm not sure if this, this, this is something that could be permanent. And so uh, he's a great man of God. He's resting in the hands of the Father. Uh, but I, I, I want to pray for him this morning. And so uh, let's just, can we just take a moment just to say a prayer right now? Heavenly Father, you are sovereign over everything. Nothing uh, is out of your control. And so, Father, I just pray right now for my friend and pastor. Uh, I pray for his church in Oakland right now, Lord, that you would continue to move forward. But I pray specifically for his eye, his right eye, that he would uh, just receive and experience your healing. And that this would be a testimony um, of, your, of your glory in his life. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we, as you know, I'm... I think I'm going to play around with the mic for a little bit. Uh, just let me know if I need to go cordless. Um, amen. We good? I'm all, yeah, I feel like it's my fault. I'm just like all over the mic. Uh, all right, now I'm hurt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> amen. As you know, last week we started off a, a series that literally is going to last us for at least seven weeks in the book of Nehemiah, uh, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And so if you missed last Sunday, totally want to encourage you to go back, check out the podcast at inspiredchurches.com. Um, we have the messages up and available for you. Um, but I just want to kind of maybe recap a little bit of last week as we kind of enter into this morning's message um, and they kind of partner together, so I think it's important that you kind of understand where we were so that you can understand kind of where we're going this morning. Every move of God begins with a burden. Every move of God, every, anyone who has ever moved or attempted to do something for the Lord has usually prior to moving and making that attempt has experienced some type of burden inside of them, something burning in them, calling them to, uh, as they looked at something in the condition that it was currently in, they believed that God could make that condition better. 
Whether God had called you to a person or whether God had called you to a city or whether God had called you to a job or whatever God is, usually every move of God starts with this burning desire to see something better than what it is. God gives you his vision, his eyes. And so when you look at a city, you don't see it for its brokenness. So when you look at a person, you don't see it for their current state that they're in, but you see them who the Lord has called them to become. And so there's a stirring inside of you. Every move of God, every significant move of God, any move of God that has ever made eternal impact has always started with a burden. Um, But that burden has always been carried out by prayer, by prayer. And so last week, we learned how you and I might discover God's call over our lives. And if you remember, I challenged you to ask yourself these questions. What excites me while at the same time breaks me? What is it that when I look at it, I see it for what it could be, but not for what it currently is? Now watch this. What it could be excites you. What it could become draws vision out of you. But what it currently is breaks you. It brings you to a place of brokenness. Oftentimes you can find God's call for your life by paying attention to the place where your dreams and your tears intersect. And this was true for Nehemiah. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to read Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 again this morning to kind of bring you up to speed to where we're going. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and we'll have it up here on the screen if you don't have a Bible. And it reads like this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now what happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel... That Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, now look how they describe the current condition of Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now look at Nehemiah's response to that. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now Nehemiah was a man that God could use because he was a man that carried God's burden. But listen, not only did he carry God's burden, but he learned to carry that burden in God's wisdom. Now, here's my prayer for us today, and we're going to pray again really quickly. My prayer for you this morning is this, that this year would be a year where you discover a burden for something broken. You and me, that this would be a year where God would open up your eyes and that you would see something broken and that he would break your heart for that. But my prayer is twofold because I don't, I don't just want you to be broken for what breaks God's heart. But I want you to learn to carry that burden with wisdom, to carry that in his wisdom. And so let me pray that over you this morning and we can jump right in. Heavenly Father, again, we come to you and I ask you to do with my words that I can't do. Uh, Would you speak through me and would you speak to every heart in here 
the way that you desire. Holy Spirit, will you translate this message so that it would translate perfectly to the mind and the heart of each individual in this room? And we trust that the word of the Lord doesn't come back void, but it accomplishes everything that it's been sent out to do. And so we lean on that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I kind of want to start uh, today's message off with a bit of a warning. You see, when it comes to God's call, when it comes to God's burden over our lives, there is a dangerous deception that is so subtle, it can, be, it can go undetected until it's too late. We have to be careful, church. We must be careful to carry God's burdens God's way because it is possible to proceed in his purposes in our own strength. Now, I've seen people, and maybe you have, but I've seen people, I've met people, even those you and I would consider to be strong in the Lord and gifted in leadership, I've seen them burn out or even spiritually die because they were unaware or never taught how to carry God's burden God's way. And here's what makes this so dangerous. Carrying God's burden carries the illusion of faithfulness to God's will because after all, your heart is breaking for what his heart is breaking for. But when you try to carry his burden in your strength, it, it begins to crush you. So here's the question this morning. How can we avoid this mistake in our own lives? How can we lead lives of ministry and mission in a way that does not burn us out, but instead satisfies our soul and brings glory to God? It is possible that we can be on mission in a way that satisfies our soul and brings glory to God. It's possible. And so what I want to do in this first portion is simply give you four qualities of a healthy disciple carrying a healthy burden. Now this morning, if you've made it in here today and... Maybe you're just a seeker. You're not sure where you are on your walk with the Lord. And maybe, maybe you're not quite ready to be a disciple of Christ. And you just came today just to kind of learn more about Christianity. I would love to invite you to learn what it looks like, what we desire to look like as healthy individuals, healthy Christians on mission, making sure we carry our burdens in a healthy way. Because when we don't carry our burdens in a healthy way, we hurt everybody. And maybe you've met a Christian who has been unhealthy. And it's turned you off to Christianity. And maybe you would have been a Christian because you love Jesus, but his people, they're just so rude. And so I want to invite you today to enter into this conversation and to say, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like as we all join together. Amen. So four qualities of a healthy disciple carrying a healthy burden. Number one, if you're taking notes, it's simply this. A healthy disciple submits to process. A healthy disciple submits to process. And the scripture is so good that even if you're just trying to take notes for yourself, it's God, you're going to be blessed. If you don't believe in the Lord, just write these down and you'll be blessed by this, I promise. Number one, a healthy disciple submits to process. Verse 4 tells us that Nehemiah wept for days and that he 
continued in fasting. And then a little bit later on, and we'll get there, we're also told in verse 6 that Nehemiah prayed day and night. And many times we read the chapters and verses of Scripture, and in reading the chapters and verses of Scripture, we fail to truly grasp the timeline. Like, have you ever read a chapter and then you go to the next chapter, and for you it only took 10 minutes, but you may, in that chapter, from one chapter to the next, it could have been 10 years. And so we fail to really enter into the timeline of their story, and then we make the assumption that things should work as fast for us as it did for them. And what took you 10 minutes to read in Scripture could have took 500 years. Amen. So when we read the word and the word tells us, about when we read the word continued and we read a phrases like day and night, it's reminding us that God is not the God of the quick fix, but he is the God of the process. And just because we have a vision and just because we have a burden doesn't mean that God won't still ask us to wait. Why is waiting so important? Well, there's character to be developed in the wait. There's what I like to call image conformity in the wait. What do I mean by that? God doesn't just want us to accomplish his task. He wants us to accomplish it while looking like his son. Amen? Amen? And if we do it looking like ourselves, we'll harm everyone around us and suffer self-inflicted wounds. Now, here's a good rule of thumb. If you're eager to do something for God, wait and pray. Most of the time, six months later, you've probably moved on. But if it's still there. And it's still just as heavy. You got something. Excitement and passion will take you there, but it won't keep you there. It won't keep you there. You see, moving into a God call too quickly can be devastating. We not only want to discover the right call, but we also want to move in the right time, right? We want to move in the right time. Have you ever made the mistake of doing the right thing at the wrong time? Like, have you, ever, have you ever thought, man, I'm going to have a conversation with my wife. My wife's looking around like, are you going to share a story? No, babe. You know, men, have you ever, wives, I'm going to have a conversation with my husband. And it was meant to be good. And you saw it in your mind, like, man, it's going to be good. Right? And then you went and you had the conversation, but it was not the right time. And so it was the right conversation, but it, you picked the wrong time. And it just blew up and got worse. Not speaking from experience at all. And that's why it's important. That's why I love you, babe. That's why it's important not just to have the right call, the right burden, but also to do it in the right time. Number two, a healthy disciple learns to keep wise boundaries. Wise boundaries. In other words, it's okay to say no, y'all. It's okay to say no. I touched on this a little bit last week, but not every burden is your burden to personally carry. Now, as I was writing this, <laughs> I thought to myself, I have to be careful because not all of us are like this. In fact, there are some people in here that you may need to learn to do more. 
like just pick something up, like do anything. Okay. Because I was something like, yeah, that's me. I'm like, no, it's been 10 years. You haven't done anything for the Lord. So like, no, this is probably not for you. I'm, it's a brother, just a wise boundary here. I've been, man, you've been in prayer for two years. Like at what point are we going to start, you know? Okay, I got to stop. I, I got to move back here. <laughs> but on occasion, there are a few in here, maybe people like myself, um, we need to guard our commitments because they, we have a tendency to say yes to too much. And so let me speak to you just for a moment. Don't feel guilty because you can't do it all. Like just because your heart isn't breaking for the homeless doesn't mean that you're not a compassionate follower of Christ. Right? What one may feel for the homeless, you may feel for the orphan. Right? What one person may feel for kids ministry, another may feel for hospitality. The body is made up of different parts, right? And we can't do it all. And so don't feel bad if you're not breaking in one place. Remember I said your heart doesn't have to break for everything, but it should break for something. So we have a healthy disciple learns to keep wise boundaries. Now, number three, a healthy disciple learns to seek wise counsel. This is so important. Wise counsel. Remember I just said it's okay to say no? That's operating in wise boundaries. Now watch this. It's okay to be told no. That's operating in wise counsel. You guys see that? Now I'm not talking about someone who just wants to hold you back, you know. Don't go, you know, not somebody who just kind of has it out for you and just wants to hold you back and never wants to see you move forward. I'm not talking about that kind of no. I'm talking about Trusting friends and mentors who God has strategically placed in your life to see things about you and the situation that maybe you currently can't see. You know, every car has a blind spot. I talk about this a lot. It's a place in the mirror that does not accurately reflect like what's truly there. Have you ever made that mistake or has someone ever made that mistake on you? We'll just pray for the road rage in here in the name of Jesus, right? But what happens is, is that if you're getting ready to switch lanes, if you don't peek over the shoulder, the mirror won't tell you everything that's there. There's actually a blind spot. There's a particular area where you look in your mirror and literally misses an entire car. Like, how did that happen? Like, this mirror missed an entire, it's like a semi and so the mirrors are good, but you need to look over the shoulder because there is a blind spot. Are you with me? So just like mirrors have blind spots, I think humans have blind spots too. We're too invested emotionally to see beyond ourselves, right? We're, sometimes it's hard for us to play, pray the prayer of indifference. You know what the prayer of indifference is? God, before I make a decision, I'm indifferent to every side. That's almost impossible because your heart is leaning in a certain way no matter what. And so how do I pray a prayer of indifference? How do I make sure that I'm not leaning in a direction where my heart is motivating me to, but it may not be the Lord? Well, the answer is pursue Wise counselors, seek wise counselors in your life, and not just anybody, but people you trust to empower them, to point out blind spots, and it may hurt. It may hurt. The last thing you want to do is empower somebody to find blind spots and then get mad at them when they find one. 
And so you have to always remind yourself it's human nature to get a little upset when there's a pushback. But this is so important, especially, again, what are we talking about? Carrying God's burden in a healthy way. Remember, nobody wants to hold you back. We just don't want 10 years later picking up broken pieces because you made the wrong decisions. Are you with me? you got to trust, though. you got to trust people in this area. This is not easy by no stretch of the imagination. I want to teach. <laughs> We're not a cult in this room. Amen? I recognize that in our culture, submission and authority has wounded so much that anytime I say those words, even though they're biblical words, that we, we shrink back. Because men and women have used that over our lives to kind of force us into doing things that we felt like were. And so when I say submission, and we're such an individualistic society, we're kind of taught, brainwashed to walk away from that. So here's what I'm teaching. I'm teaching you biblical submission to men and women in your life that you trust God has placed there. Because there are blind spots. Amen? Number four. A healthy disciple prays without ceasing. Prays without ceasing. So, so far up into this point, we've talked about a healthy disciple submits to process. A healthy, a healthy disciple learns to keep wise boundaries. A healthy disciple learns to seek wise counsel. And number four, a healthy disciple prays without ceasing. And for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to land here because after Nehemiah had heard that the walls were broken, the gates were on fire, the people were in trouble and shame, his heart broken. Scripture says he began to what? Pray and fast. And so here's what I want to do. Can we read that this morning? If you have your, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 4. I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 4. And we're going to read 4 through 11. And then we're going to land, we're going to land in this prayer. And this is going to take us to the end of our time together. So Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to read verses 4 through 11. Scripture says this. As soon as I heard these words, now what are these words? Nehemiah is saying, as soon as I heard that Jerusalem was broken, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, ready, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you have not, and have not kept your commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant 
and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then it ends like this. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Now Nehemiah was a man of action, yet even Nehemiah understood that in order for him to be successful, his prayer needed to precede his activity. And I'm going to spend the rest of the time breaking his prayer down into four parts that I think that we can adopt when we're praying with a burden in mind or when we're just praying our prayers in general. Number one, four of these qualities. Break this down in four points. The first point is this. Nehemiah enters into prayer with a heart of worship. I don't know if you saw that, but immediately he begins his prayer with a heart of worship. He basically magnifies God's character, declaring God to be the God of heaven, an awesome and loving God who is a covenant-keeping God. This is how Nehemiah enters into prayer. He doesn't enter into prayer with a request. He simply enters into his prayer, giving worship to God. Now, why would Nehemiah, who's just been crushed by bad news, begin his prayer by acknowledging the good news about who God is? Well, let me tell you what I think. I believe part of the reason why is because burdens have a tendency to overwhelm the one who's carrying them. So worship in prayer becomes a way in which I can make much of God and little of myself. Now, why would I want to make much of God and little of myself? You see, if I don't do this, there's a real danger that I think I can carry the burden in my own strength. And if I begin to walk this burden out in my own strength, it will either crush me or consume me. Now, let me just give you a tip. You know you're making much of yourself and too little of God when your doing for God is prioritized over your praying to God. You find yourself involved in the activities of God, but you're removing yourself more and more away from the prayers of God. I told those that came to yesterday's membership class a story about a man that I had met, he was interested in church planting. And he sat with me, and he was curious to sit with another pastor who had experienced church planting, and he was asking me questions so that he can uh, help him better understand what it takes to church plant. And so he sat with me, and one of the first questions I asked, I said, hey, what's your why? Why do you want a church plant? What's, What's the why in your life? And as he sat and he thought about it for a while, he said, you know what, one of, the, one of the reasons why I want a church plant is because I think it's going to help me get closer to God. And then he said, you know, I, I, I don't pray a lot now. So he's an associate pastor. He says, I don't really do a lot of prayer, but I think when I start planting a church, I'm actually going to start praying more. I said, brother, don't plant a church. I said, don't plant a church until you learn to pray more than you work. And yesterday at the membership class, I was saying this, and, you know, I think it's always easier for people to look at pastors and say, oh, my gosh, you should be praying. But this is actually for all of us. You're a follower of Christ. You're a disciple of Christ, and you want to stay healthy in what God has called you to do. 
take a look at the disproportionate amount of time that you do for God and that you're actually spending in time just being with him in prayer. Usually in our busy schedule, private devotion is the first thing we exit out. You know you're making much of yourself and too little of God when you're doing for God is prioritized over your praying for God, to God. You know you're making much of yourself and too little of God when you find yourself trying to be the Savior coming to everyone's rescue. You know, you know, you're doing, you're making much of yourself and little of God when you find yourself being the Savior and you're flying to everyone's rescue at everyone's becking call and you're pointing people subconsciously to yourself and not to Christ. Are you with me? There are so many of us in here, and I, I'm with you. And a lot of us that go into ministry, we have a Messiah complex. We're trying to save everybody. But at some point, you realize you can't. It's called the mystery of increase. What do I mean by the mystery of increase? Some plant, some water, but only the Spirit brings increase. You cannot make anybody change. You can't transform them. You can't make them come to church. All you can do is live the life of Christ, love like Christ, look like Christ, talk like Christ, and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. If you get caught up trying to be the change and transformation, you will hurt yourself. You will crush yourself or you will consume yourself. And this isn't a one-time deal. For the rest of my life, this has to be a part of my prayer because I'm so quick to rescue people. Part of the reason why I try my best to Sabbath <laughs> on Mondays, you know, for me, what a Sabbath is, I try to, and I fail miserably, <laughs> not take any church phone calls or text messages or emails. Somebody says, hey, Philip, I need you. We're on the verge of divorce. I'm like, you know what? I'll see you on Tuesday. <laughs> no, I know for some of you, like, that's terrible, but I can't be the Messiah. I can't save everybody. And I've said this before, I'd rather have a healthy marriage than a healthy church. Now, I want both. I want both. I want both. I want both, right? It's a dumb dichotomy to put in there. But I'm saying is, if my marriage is healthy and the church is healthy, right? I know that's hard. And I know we're used to just picking up our cross and following people and dying to ourselves. And I get that. I think that's all good. But we're not Jesus. Right? I remember this last Monday, connect groups were starting, and, and me and my wife were sending emails out there, and I'm like, oh, gosh, we're not doing it. And I remember I was sending an email out, and Danny, Brother Danny over there, he sent me a text message. He goes, Pastor Phil, are you working on your Sabbath right now? I said, thank you, Danny. I love you. <laughs> now, look, I don't, I don't, you know, don't want to make this this like deep law, or, but here's essentially what I'm trying to say. We are here to come alongside, to pray, to break, to cry with you, to bear one another's burdens. This is what Scripture calls us to do. But what we, want to, what we want to, don't want to do is do that in an unhealthy way in which we make much of ourselves and less of Christ. You know, Jesus, God, in his infinite wisdom, he forced us to have to go to bed. You know that? We get tired. Like if I had those extra eight hours, right, if I didn't have to sleep, I'd get a lot more done. But he forced us to go to bed. And I think you want to know one of the reasons why he forces us to go to bed? Because he wants us to know that he doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber and that his mission and his burden and his will will continue to be moving forward whether I'm awake or not. And so sometimes you need to turn off the phone, put it somewhere else, and focus on your own well-being. 
Amen? You know you're making much of yourself and little of God when you're doing for God is prioritized over your praying to God. When you find yourself trying to be the Savior coming to everyone's rescue. And when your complaints start superseding your worship. You know, I'm not going to say, this is not a 100% all the time, but I do want to say when one and two is disoriented, number three starts taking place. Usually a bitter and complaining heart is the result of a heart that's kind of got something out of order. Now, don't get me wrong. It's okay to be a little upset sometimes, right? It's okay to voice your opinion sometimes. I'm not advocating that no one should criticize ever because, again, we're not a cult. I think, I think criticism helps. I think healthy conversation, healthy conflict helps bring the people of God together. I believe in all that. What I'm saying is when it becomes a pattern, right, when it just starts becoming a regular pattern in your life, it's kind of starts to pull back and say, okay, there's something inside of me that needs to shift. And so I, want to, I want to do an examination and take an inventory. And sometimes in that examination and inventory, sometimes the Lord says, hey, it's time to move on. The place you're in is toxic. Right? Or sometimes the Lord's like, hey, well, you've been prior, prioritizing the doing and not the being with me too much. And then you have to kind of reshift. And it's okay. It happens to all of us. I got to reexamine myself almost weekly. It just happens. And so we just have to, we have to keep this top of mind. Amen. Are you guys with me? And finally, you know, you're making much of yourself and little of God. When you say too much, do too much, get offended too much. <laughs> you know, just when you start feeling that way, it's just time to take a little step back and take a prayer. Just begin to seek and examine yourself. Amen. All right. So Nehemiah enters into prayer with a heart of worship. Let's go to number two. Nehemiah's prayer moves from worship to confession. Did you notice that? It moved from worship to confession. Notice how worship humbled him. And as a result of this humility, the natural response of that is repentance. When you begin to make much of God... You begin to see less of yourself. And I know psychologically this is not important because we're supposed to, right, the ego, right? We're supposed, to, we're supposed to make sure that we're positively speaking positive things over our lives every day. And I get that type of empowerment. But I want you to know that there's some of that that's antithetical to the gospel. Because the gospel says there's nothing good about us. Sin has destroyed us. And that even when we do good things, it's still kind of sprinkled with self-motivating things. It's still kind of sprinkled with this desire, this need. And so the reality of the gospel says that God is good. And as a result, his goodness, he gives to us. And it, and it causes us to, to worship in response to him. And so when we make less of ourselves in high of him, uh, what we do is it causes us to respond in worship. And then in that humble place, it causes us to enter into a place of repentance. Amen? Nehemiah recognizes that the brokenness of the city and the shame of the people are the result of sin. Now, it's interesting because he could have blamed other nations, right? Babylon and Persian, they were pagans. They came and they attacked us and they took us into exile. They destroyed us. They killed us. They surrounded us. He could have blamed other nations. He could have even blamed it on God. And he could have asked questions like, why would you do this to us? You're responsible for the state that we're in. But instead of blaming others, he took responsibility. And I love this. He not only repented for his own sin, but he repented on behalf of his family's sins 
and his nation sins. You know, and I speak to fathers in here. I wish, I pray that more fathers would begin to repent on behalf of their families. Moms, I wish that you would make it a part of your routine in prayer to repent. I wish leaders would take this upon themselves in their posture of prayer. In fact, let me give you just a leadership principle that I think we can apply in some kind of way. Always take an inward look first. Before we point the finger in the other direction, we should examine ourselves. We should practice asking in prayer, what is it in me that needs to be addressed? What part do I have to play? How is my own sinful nature affecting the way I see this person or this circumstance? Nehemiah is a leader God can entrust with his burdens because Nehemiah is a leader who takes responsibility even in the midst of failures. Number three, after confessing, Nehemiah asked the Lord to remember. He reminds God of a promise he made to Moses hundreds of years before this moment. That if the people who had once fell away and were scattered would repent and be faithful to God again, God would gather them and restore them back to the place that he promised them. Now, what a beautiful foreshadowing of the gospel here in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. That if we would just repent of our sin and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he would be more than willing to restore us back to the place of promise. <laughs> Nehemiah reminds God, reminds himself, and even reminds us today that God is a God who overcomes the results of sin. That God is a God who doesn't look at sin and say, well, now there's something I can't move with. There's something that I can't form and shape. Let me go find somebody perfect. Nobody is perfect. God is a God who gets in the mess, reshapes us, and brings us back to the place we were intended to be. If you fall and it's not over, it's the gospel Nehemiah reminds us today that God is a God who overcomes the result of sin. He's the God who makes a way. He's the God who loves to redeem narratives. He's a God who loves to change stories so that the current place that you're in is not the final place that God is going to take you. This is the God that we serve. This is the God, the God of Israel, and this is the God of you and I. I was... Actually, in reading this and kind of preparing for this sermon, I was just kind of walking, doing on a prayer walk. And in that prayer walk, I was trying to use Nehemiah's pattern, you know, start with worship and continue on to confession. And in this confession part, I actually began to confess. I was like, you know what, I just pray over uh, the sins of my family. I just repent for that. And I started to repent for the sins of my city. Now, I live in Dublin right now, and I'm pastoring in Union City. But as I was walking in Dublin, I just felt to pray for Dublin in that moment. And I just began to repent. I repent for the, the sins of my city. I repent for the failures of my city. And as I was walking around, I just kind of looked up. And, you know, you know, it's not like I was walking in the hood. You know, I was walking around, and, you know, the moms were walking their kids in the park. Kids were playing. You know, birds were tweeting. You know, I was just, it was, there's all the, it was just beautiful day. And, you know, you know, maybe if I was in another place, maybe a little bit more, you know, maybe if I saw drugs or I saw, you know, it would be a little bit easier to buy, okay, I repent for this city, right? But you know what I began to repent for? 
I repented for the need of people to feel comfortable. I repented on behalf of this city that people would move here and they'd move away from whatever else that's out there because they need to be encompassed in a safe, comfortable place so they're not bothered by the bad things. I repented for complacency. I repented for that. I repented for the need to have to live in a perfect place. Because I recognize the brokenness is everywhere. And even in these good decisions, there's brokenness in there. And I, it was so crazy because I just began to repent. And I started to look at myself. I was like, whoa. All right, God, I'm going. <laughs> but this is just part of something that was really speaking to me personally. I wanted to share just as an example. And number four, finally, I love the fact that Nehemiah finishes his prayer off by asking for favor. Now, look at what he said in verse 11 again. Look at what he said in verse 11. He says this. After he's worshipped in prayer, after he's confessed in prayer, after he's remembered in prayer, finally, he prays for favor. He says this in verse 11. Give success to your servant today. Then he says something that it's hard to understand if you're not in the context. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, when Nehemiah says him, he's referring to himself. When he says this man, he's referring to King Artaxerxes of Persia. See, here's what you got to know about the context here. Nehemiah is in Persia, breaking, praying, and fasting over the state of Jerusalem. Nehemiah is in Persia, and we're told he's in the citadel of Susa, which means he was in the winter palace of the king. Which Nehemiah tells us, eventually, he was a cupbearer to the king. Which means he was right next to the king. He, he had a place of influence. He had the ear of the king. And so at the very end of his prayer, he says, give me success today. Grant me mercy in the sight of the king. Because I'm about to do something. I'm about to say something. Now what Nehemiah is about to do in chapter 2 will be bold and nothing short of miraculous. His burden will not only require something beyond himself, but it will require divine intervention. There are so many things we can focus on here, but I just want to call your attention to one. By asking for favor in his prayer, Nehemiah is himself becoming the answer to that prayer. It's human nature to want our prayers answered, but it's God's will for us to start becoming answers to other people's prayers. Here's a dream. Here's a vision. What would it look like if Inspire developed a church full of people, a church full of members, and a church full of leaders who were always looking to become answers to other people's prayer. What if you matured to a place where your prayers started to become less about what you needed from God and more about how can I bless what someone else may need from me? What would that look like? Uh, what would it look like? I, I, it, 
I'll give you a good example. A good friend of mine, he's going to be nameless because he doesn't want to be known and doesn't even know I was going to share this. But a couple of weeks ago, I posted something about a single mom who needed a repair. I just posted it online on Facebook. And I don't know if you know, but I posted it. You may not even see it because within five minutes, I actually erased it. There's a couple people that responded. And people responded, and God bless people's heart. They're like, hey, you know, um, check their insurance, <laughs> you know, and there's some insurances that you may overlook this, and it could take care of that. Somebody else responded, you know, hey, I, I got a guy. He's really cheap. Um, I think he'll be, able to, he'll be able to fix for a good price. And I got a text from my friend and said, you know what? My heart just broke because people were giving good advice, but nobody was actually paying for it. And he said, you know what? Evanmo me $300 and give it to her. Please don't, tell, please don't tell this person who it is, where it came from. Wow. And I know this person. This person isn't rolling in the dough <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. But I just thought to myself, wow, what a, what a community, what, what, a, what a call from God. And I am by no stretch of the imagination saying don't bring your prayers before the Lord. Trust me, there are times I'm just crying out, Lord, I need your help. And it's very okay to do that. But all I'm saying is, can, can we create a balance in our mission and ministry in our lives where we're not just looking for a blessing, but we're actually becoming the blessing? Even if it means it, it hurts you a little bit. So here's what I want to do. I want to say a prayer, and I want to invite worship team to come up because we're just going to worship for a second to respond. And then I'm going to pray, and we're going to finish. I want to recognize two things and then we're done. First thing I want to recognize is that Jesus redeems stories. He not only wants to rebuild your life, but he wants to invite you to be a part of the restoration project of humanity. It's something we talked about a little bit last week. He's a redeemer. He's a redeemer. Whatever's broken, whatever's burning in your life, Whatever walls need to come down, whatever walls need to be built up, whatever unhealthy things need to be removed, he just simply wants to come in and he wants to rebuild and he wants to restore, he wants to resurrect, and he wants to release you to be a blessing. He's a redeemer. Number two, Jesus wants you to carry his burdens, but he wants you to carry it his way. And there are two things I want you to think about for two different types of people that may be in this room. Number one, Maybe it's time for you to wake up. Maybe God is calling you to prayer and to mission. You don't have to overwhelm yourself. Just take the next step. Maybe you've just been, you're not sure. We can help you with that. But maybe it's time to wake up. Or the second one is maybe it's time to be sober. Slow down. Wait. Trust in the Lord. Exercise wisdom and caution. Get with some brothers and sisters that love you. Dialogue through this. Don't run until God has called you to run. Take the next step. What is that? Everyone's next step is different. Whatever it is, let's take that next step. So here's what I want to pray over you this morning, and then we'll dismiss, is this. Nehemiah means helper of God. Nehemiah means helper of God. And it just hearkens to the very definition of the Holy Spirit. He's the parakletos. He's the one that comes aside of us. He's the counselor. He's the helper. And without him, 
will be crushed, but in him and with him will be empowered to be on mission in our homes, in our jobs, in our schools, in our families, in our churches. We need the helper. You need the helper. And so what I want to pray over you and pray over this church before we dismiss is that we would not do nothing without moving in and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's our helper. Jesus is next to the Father praying for you, but the Holy Spirit is here right now empowering you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you didn't leave us to do your ministry alone. I thank you that before you told the disciples to do work, you told them to wait. And you told them not to wait for waiting's sake, but because you were going to send another. And this another was going to come in the form of the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would fall and empower a weak church would empower a frail church, would empower a sinful church. The Holy Spirit would come and fall and empower a fearful church. And in that empowerment would turn the church into strength, would turn the church into courage and boldness. And this church would turn the world upside down. So I pray over every individual member and I pray over this church and really all the churches in the Bay Area that we would lean on the power of the Holy Spirit to carry the mission, to carry the burden, to carry the fears, to carry the concerns that lay so heavy on our hearts. We cannot do it without the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we access this power and it's not even, this power is not an electricity, it's not an emotion, it's not a feeling. This power is a person. He's the Holy Spirit. He walks with us. And we walk with Him. And without Him, we can do. Without Him, we cannot move. So breathe on us. Remind us. We're not alone. So I just pray for everyone in this room. Holy Spirit, you would empower us to walk as men and women called on mission with burdens but not burdens that overwhelm or consume or crush us but burdens we carry in a healthy way you've called us to carry and that as we lay our heads down at night and rest we would know that you are in control you are sovereign and you are on the throne may we rest in that this morning in Jesus name